Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Flamingo Sundays podcast uh, on a very beautiful day here in Sydney. Uh, I'm in the eastern suburbs as normal, and my guest is sitting on the other side of the bridge in the uh, in the North Shore. Um, we were just chatting, a, a huge rap sheet here, a lot of experience, and I think we're going to get a lot of gold out of this podcast. Um, Meredith at the moment is uh, is running a business called American Co. And essentially what that business does is uh, coaches and mentors executives and CEOs of, of, you know, some of Australia's and the world's largest companies. Um, so without any further ado, Meredith, welcome to the Flamingo Sundays podcast. Great to be here, Jack. Um, so I think before we, we jump into to all the gold, just to give people a bit of background, um, you know, about you and, and, and who you are and, and where you are right now, how, how would you sort of describe yourself and, 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 and what you actually do do? Well, I'm probably about 500 years older than most of the people you've interviewed on this podcast. That's um, not true. And um, and I noticed that you've, I think you've had one other female as I flicked through the guests, so um, unique in that regard. Um, and I'm at the sort of third career stage, um, I think, and, you know, one stage as an executive, one as a company director and now as a mentor, and it's probably the most blissful and fulfilling stage of my life. It's one that I just get huge amounts of joy from um, and it allows me to work with people that I really respect uh, and enjoy. It allows me to pick and choose the hours I work and the time I spend. And it's pretty much ideal, I'd say, Hi, to be commended, to keep on working at the ripe old age. And because I'm going to live to 100. So I've got many years till retirement. Absolutely. Well, they say life gets better like uh, like a fine wine. So you must be at that stage now of just about to come out of the cellar. It's getting that good. Yeah, perfectly described, Jack. Yes. <laughs> Certainly not a fossil to be buried in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, let's unpack that. So you know, you, you said you've sort of had three stages of your career or of your life and you're at that final stage or, or best stage right now in terms of your working career. Um, let's go back to the start of, of, of that journey. Um, you, you're obviously a very well-educated woman. Um, run me through like your childhood and, 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 you know, how you got into the sort of the workforce. Yeah. Um, childhood, Sydney and Melbourne, um, back to Sydney, uh, the middle of three girls, um, mostly an all-girls school education, uh, very much at a time, um, you know, ancient history to you and your listeners in the 60s. I left school in 1970. Um, and, I mean, the 60s was a fantastic time. Um, you know, it was very much a time of freedom and growth and liberation and going to an all-girls school. We were hugely encouraged that we could do everything, but it was still a very discriminatory time. Um, I had a holiday job where I got paid $45 a week and the young boy oh. sitting next to me got paid $50 a week just because he was a male and jobs were advertised in separate columns for um, males and females. And so um, uh, being bright, uh, my passion had been to be a ballerina, but I did not have the talent or the physique. Um, so um, I went to university and did arts law, uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, and then joined the Foreign Service as a diplomat. Um, it really enjoyed that, moved then 
um, very opportunistically, I could make my career sound like I planned every move, but essentially every move was just an opportunistic one where it looked like an exciting um, challenge to do. So work for the Overseas Telecommunications Commission doing um, submarine cable negotiations and also negotiated the uh, access for the major free-to-air TV stations to the Intelsat satellites, and um, it was a terrific time. Moved to SO Oil and Gas in the um, upstream production, um, Bastrade Oil Fields, um, working very much as a, a government lobbyist, then downstream in the planning area. Moved from there to Chase Corp as a... Um, um, I don't know what, <laughs> doing everything that they did in <laughs> development. Uh, a brief, very, very brief stint in the brewing industry. Um, hated beer, um, which <laughs> doesn't help. Then um, I had my first CEO role as head of the Coal Association in Australia. Loved that. Um, really changed, I think, the face of the coal industry um, with the reforms we got through. Then uh, moved to TNT, um, heading up their corporate development area, so strategy, and devised a strategy for us to enter Asia. Did that and ran Asia. Um, then CEO of a law firm. Um, then CEO of a financial services company. Then during that time, had got a number of directorships. So decided to focus on those directorships. Um, then had everything come completely crashing down um, due to um, the James Hardy um, case and had, you know, one of those looking in hindsight fortuitous moments where, you know, when you have nothing and no opportunities and have resigned every role you've got, um, it's a wonderful opportunity to say, well, what do I actually love doing and what am I really good at? And so joined Merrick and got to own the business here and um, have been here for the last 10 years. So that's the career along the way. I've had three marriages. The last one for, has lasted 35 years. Um, Sounds like they got better with time as well. They got better with time. Third marriage for him too. So, you know, we both decided the institution was worth supporting. Um, <laughs> have one daughter and... Um, yeah, she's the light of our lives, obviously, and um, and a series of dogs. So that's my life. And then you were a guest on the Flamingo Sundays podcast as the pinnacle. Exactly, so, um, the absolute highlight. The see now now everyone would understand when I uh, opened the podcast saying uh, Meredith has somewhat of a rap sheet. That's that's just some of probably the best moments. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. We, we, we definitely have something in common in the mining industry. I, I said to you before we started, um, I spent quite a few years in the mining industry after I left the construction industry. Um, let, let, let's run through that because you said, you know, you, you didn't necessarily plan everything. It was just a matter of different opportunities coming your way and you picking and choosing which ones you thought would progress you further down um, the success path. Um, well, I mean, getting into to mining and then into logistics and, you know, there was some negotiating in there for, for uh, under, uh, was it cabling? Like the, cables and satellite access, yep. They're all very, very different in uh, at a high level. 
what what would you what would you say led you down each one of those paths? So that was it was it the fact that you know you you went into a job and saw another job listing, or were you getting poached? Like how, how did that come about? Um, well, certainly initially it was um, just seeing the job. I had articles, law firm articles lined up when I let, left law school. Would have had a career in law, but saw the advertisements for the foreign service thought it sounded really interesting and got in. So, you know, that was very much, and same with OTC. Thereafter, it was, you know, being tapped on the shoulder and asked if I were interested in roles. And for me, I guess I had two drivers, one of which if I had my time over, I wouldn't have paid attention to, uh, and one I, I think is a good one. The, the first one was was just I always wanted a new challenge and was ambitious for, um, you know, success. And if I was going to do something, I was going to do it damn well the best I could. And um, I soon learnt that I was really good at leading and motivating people. And therefore, for me, you know, leadership roles were an ambition and that I think was was good and a lot of curiosity and you know what's this about and here's a new challenge and problem solved the other one which I wouldn't do if I had my time over was I think I very seriously decided um along the way that I wanted not to do stereotypical female things um again because of the era that I grew up in was the second wave of feminism whatever um and there was so much stereotyping of women you know that you were expected to you know if you were a lawyer you'd do family law or you know you'd go and work for cosmetics or you know whatever so um I I think I particularly chose industries where it was going to be tough for a woman and I mean that's a stupid motivator really um you know would have would have been far better I mean I I certainly felt passionate about oil and gas and mining but you know would it have been a passion had I just sat back and said you know what would I really love to do and what would I be interested in um I probably wouldn't have gone through oil gas logistics you know those sorts of industries but they yeah. Certainly, as you know from working in mining, they are terrific industries with, a, a, you know, great cultures of their own, very unique individuals. Um, and certainly, you know, I felt like I achieved a lot and, you know, I had some fascinating um, opportunities and not ones that you'd expect. So, for example, back Back in 1989, I was part of the Australian delegation negotiating the Climate Change Convention, and um, I was representing the whole of Australian business on that delegation. And why? Because we in the coal industry were um, leading the way on trying to get people to accept that climate change was real and that, um, you know, the world needed to, to change. And so the then Hawke government asked if I would, you know, be form part of the the Australian delegation. So, you know, that was an opportunity that was just fantastic to be, you know, part of the UN negotiations that and something that's unexpected for, you know, the mining industry. I feel very sad that it's now its reputation continues to be blackened by people who just think it's um, you know, the the, the devil incarnate. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say, you know, 
mining is obviously, and, and I'm sure oil and gas is the same, generally male dominated, but it's actually run by or, or headed up by a female in Jenna Reinhardt, right? Like, yes, yes. It's, uh, it's run by one of the most powerful women in Australia and uh, all, the ma- all the men work for her. Yep, yep. And say Fortescue's got a female CEO um, as well. So, yeah, life has changed, that's, that's for sure, um, which and is terrific, you know, so it should. And You're you know, at the spearhead of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking ancient history, you know, back when I was doing it. So uh, as, as, as you would have come through and, and were you, well, you said that the thing that you, you would probably change now is that you wouldn't challenge the status quo in terms of, well, well females generally don't do this, so I'm going to go and do that. Was that something you were consciously doing through, um, through life or now just reflecting back on it, you realised that you, you were doing that? Oh, no, I was, I was consciously, consciously doing it. Um, you know, I, my, my mother was um, a huge influence on me and she was an incredibly strong feminist and, you know, she gave me Germaine Greer's The Female Unit to read and Eric E. Young's works and, um, you know, all sorts of um, feminist literature. And I also saw the most unjust things happen to women. I mean, you know, back when I was starting work, women had to resign their jobs if they got married. And, um, you know, in job interviews and getting loans, people were allowed to ask you, you know, well, are you planning to get pregnant? And and as I say, there there was an overt pay disparity then. It's not overt now, but still you know very clear so um for me it was very much a you know a belligerent i will show them i will show them that women can do anything and everything and go and work in places that um you know they normally um couldn't go and yeah it as i say it's I think the challenging of the status quo and, and pushing on behalf of women is terrific, but, you know, to, to sort of deliberately choose industries just to, to show them isn't really a great career ambition. <laughs> it's just fortunate that I ended up loving them so much. So, um, you know, What no, do you think caused that? Do you think there was something in your life that made you want to go down that path? Oh, absolutely. You know, my father wanted us to leave school, you know, at the end of year 10. And, you know, um, he, he really, you know, was the epitome of um, sexism, I suppose. Um, And so, yeah, I guess it was proving to him that it could be different. And yeah, the school was, you know, it instilled it in us, you know, you can, you can do anything, although even that school, you know, it was very narrow. You know, if you were bright and in the humanities, you did law. Um, and if you were science oriented, you did medicine or physiotherapy or pharmacy. And if sadly, if you were not so bright, you do teaching. And um, they were the choices. Um, literally, um, you know, how narrow could you get? Mm. Um, but Behind that was, yes, you can go out and do anything and everything. So, um, you know, I was out to, to prove that to be the case. Um, and, and that's changed so much now, right? Like if you, I mean, to yeah. me, it, it, what you're saying doesn't even seem real because I was, you know, a mid-1990s baby and 
the world uh, as you're young you don't really see anything and now it just feels like female are absolutely as as equal or if, even more competent than than males you know you look at someone like melina perkins who heads up one of the biggest companies in the world in canva and you know it doesn't it doesn't even seem like it's, it's male v female they're just human beings right well, yes, um, although sadly, of course, when you look at the top of the major companies in Australia, the ASX-listed companies, I think there's six out of 200 um, you know, CEO roles are female. Um, so, yes, they come, they go through school as equals, they go through university as equals, they get recruited in at the bottom of companies as equals, um, and the old guard still choose to promote people who are like them um, and they're yeah. white and male. And so if you're, you know, female, Asian, um, you know, anything different, you have a harder time. And given, you know, my view is if they can't get 50% females in, in CEO roles um, when we're 50% of the population, then heaven help real minority groups, however they're going to get accepted. So it's still a very tough road to hoe. And I think that's why so many women um, leave large organisations and, you know, become entrepreneurs. And the success rate of female entrepreneurs is higher than males. Um, And I think that's because they do it because they realise this is the only option. Um, yeah. You know, they, they need to succeed in their own businesses because they've realised the glass ceilings there in larger organisations. Yeah, and, and that's obviously going to change over time, right? Like as yeah, a lot of these nice. dinosaurs are start, start to oh, I hope so. age out. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I, I just worry that, you know, young people like yourself will be in large organisations in junior roles and they'll look up at the the old blokes and say oh well this is what you do to get on and there's a bit of a perpetuation so I just really hope that your generation comes through and it's different but see I thought that in the 80s I you know there there was a big drive then to you know have equality for women in jobs we had affirmative action officers in businesses and I thought fantastic you know in 30 years time um women will be equal everywhere well you know 30 years has passed and six percent six out of 200 ceos are are female and it's certainly not a lack of talent i mean we know that um it is it is solely opportunity and is that is that you know going through being working in some of australia's and probably the world's largest companies um as a female is that what then led you into what you do right now with you know mentoring and coaching executives in some of these companies and the 200 companies you just mentioned in the ASX six of six of the the heads of those companies are females and the other 194 are are males (laughs) Um, well it's not particularly uh, related to being a female it's more that I've had so much experience Um, I've got you know, a really good degree of scar tissue. Um, I've been in all sorts of different situations um, and um, therefore I feel like I've got a lot to offer for senior executives and CEOs in large organisations. I mean, the majority of my clients are are male (laughs) just by dint of the numbers. So, um, you know, it's so it's not particularly driven by that fact. It's more driven by the fact that I think I um, 
I understand people, I understand organisations, I understand business, and I love releasing the potential in in people. Um, so working with um, leaders in you know, medium to large businesses in helping them make their businesses more successful and their leadership more impactful. It's really joyful. Um, you know, it, it's, you don't have to worry about, it's all care and no responsibility. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, you don't have to worry about your own ego. Um, you know, you, you're really there for no other reason than the success of the, the person you're mentoring. And it, it's a great feeling. Well, I, uh, I, our COO of our, our business is, is a lady by the name of Shirley Dalton, um, who, you know, was CEO of, of Kit McGraw Learning Centre, a, a public company, and um, she, she absolutely leads us a lot better than what we'd be able to lead ourselves, coming from a different perspective, and um, yeah, I, I completely get it. So, what does, um, what does your now role compromise of? Like, are you going in there, mentoring them on certain parts of the business or certain parts of their role? Like, run me through how that works. Oh, it, it, it varies. So um, we, we have about um, 70, 80 mentors around the world. Um, here in Australia, we have 15. And, um, you know, I, I'm responsible for matching the right mentor with the right client, uh, make sure right. Works and the requirement is, yeah, differs. Sometimes it can be somebody who's being groomed for the CEO role and therefore they want a mentor to bring out the best in them. Sometimes it's a newly appointed CEO. Um, it's sometimes a CEO who isn't finding they're getting the real help and advice they need from their board. Um, so they want a mentor to talk through, you know, their strategic challenges. Um, you know, so it's often at a transition point in people's careers or it's where a CEO has been building their business and now it needs real scaling and, and they don't really know how to bring um, the best practices of larger businesses into their business without squashing the, the entrepreneurial side of it. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of situations. Sometimes it can be them as a leader more than the business issues, you know, that they're not, they're just not getting the best out of their people. What are they doing wrongly? And we also do work with, with teams. So, again, getting the team together, not team building, not, you know, trust falling exercises and all that stuff, but really getting the team to be high performing and understanding, well, why do we even have a team? You know, why, why don't we just come to work and be individuals doing our own? Yeah. Um, yeah. So some companies out there are like that. That's for sure. Yep, Especially absolutely. in real estate. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so, so we're like, uh, I'm sure there's, there's a common trend or a common um, issue or problem that a lot of your clients at that level face. Is there one or two things or three things where, you know, most of the, the, the clients either you work with or, or the people in your team work with, there's, there's things they have to deal with once they get to that level of CEO or coming up to, to becoming a CEO? Yeah, people issues. One of the things that surprises um, 
CEOs is how much time they end up spending on on people issues. You know, and they laugh when I say, yeah, the more senior you get, the more time you have to spend on people, um, you know, because lots of CEOs have been promoted into that role because they have you know, grown the division that they've been running in a business. They've really, you know, got great um, P&L success and suddenly they're now completely working through other people um, and, you know, they need to spend more time on, on really ensuring that they're matching the people with the strategy. Um, you know, the world generally thinks that large, cor- large corporation executives are hard-assed um, people, but they're not. They're, every single client of mine, I think, has always had someone on their team that really isn't good enough and they can't bring themselves to move them on. And, you know, so it's it's the people issues is very common. The other one that's really common is time, time management. Um, again, people get into a syndrome that, you know, busy is good. And if I run from meeting to meeting, you know, I must be achieving something. And so, you know, before they know it, um, they become victims of their diaries. Um, comes as a surprise to people every now and again when I say, well, actually, you know, you're the boss. Um, you know, you determine how you spend your time. And, you know, br- clawing back some thinking time, you know, I I say to them sometimes, you know, if you're not spending some time every day with your feet up on the desk figuratively, looking out the window, thinking about what's the next challenge that you can overcome for your business, then you're going to be missing disrupting opportunities or you are going to be disrupted. Um, so, yeah, I think they, they all struggle with finding enough time. And I think COVID's made it worse for everybody from top to bottom of businesses. Um, what used to be the commute time or even the walk yeah. meetings is just gone into more zero. Yeah. I, uh, I, I am one, uh, as soon as you said that, the, the time of being a victim of your calendar, I'm, uh, I'm a huge culprit of that. And I feel guilty if I have got free time because I feel like, well, yes. you're not doing anything. You should be busy. What are you doing? You're not productive. You're not making money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, the best way to make money is to think about your business. Yeah, yeah. You know, let your mind run free and think of what the next big idea is. Um, So how do you overcome that with clients? Like if they are, you know, obviously trying to be the CEO and trying to be involved in everything they possibly can and in their mind, they're progressing the business and doing what they should be doing. How do you then say, okay, well, let's let's go counterintuitive to that. Let's let's free up the time in the calendar. Give yourself some free time. Um, is there is there a, you know a top down approach where you go, well, these are the most important things, and these things in here that you're just filling in, maybe you should scrap them and get someone else to do them. Yep, it, it's um, you know a, a very practical thing of uh, what I would call drive, ditch, or delegate. Um, you know, the things you want to drive. Three days. Yeah, the things you want to drive for the business that are really important, um, you know, need to be in the diary first. Um, the ditch is, you know, no one should do them. What is, you know, what is anyone doing um, about them? Yeah. Give them away completely. And then, of course, delegate is getting other people to do it. And that's another thing, you know, a lot of people struggle with and, I think stereotypically, um, this could be controversial, I think women tend to struggle with it a bit more is delegation. 
um, they tend to have more of a psyche of, you know, I should, uh, I shouldn't ask my people to do anything that I'm not prepared to do myself. And, and, you know, to prove myself, if people come in with a problem, um, there's a great um, Harvard Business Review article about um, the monkey on the back, you know, that people, your staff come into your office with a monkey, uh, i.e. a problem, um, and your job is to make sure they leave with the monkey as well, that they haven't put it on your back. And, you know, a lot of leaders love the fact that people come to them with problems and before they know it, they've solved them instead of listening, asking questions, prompting and sending the monkey back out with the person that really owns the monkey to do it. So it's it's a combination of very practical things of going through the diary and then mindset changes, you know, and convincing convincing people that, you know, thinking time is is good time. It's very important, yeah. Yeah, I've been working on it with my coach for the last three or four months is, you know, you need to be the creative front, of the, front man of the business and all the other things that can be done by other people, make sure they're done by other people. Yeah, yeah, First world so. problems, huh? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> so now, you know, we, we actually touched on a few things as we were talking through that of what you would do differently now reflecting back on your life. But after working in all the businesses you've worked in, after being in all the roles and all the different industries, you've seen probably the best and the worst of everything. And, and, and with that comes so much experience and, and knowledge. If you were to start your journey again, and we were talking about you know a daughter in her early twenties, and you're probably looking at her going, "Well, you're just about to go on the journey that I went on." Um, what what would you do differently now, and and would you go down a different path? Do you see industries that you think you could really make a huge change in? And um, I'm really interested to, to know that. So, I think. Um, it's tempting and a lot of people give career advice that says find your passion, find your passion and follow it. And that's fine if you know your passion or you happen to be good at your passion. I've already told you that, you know, I desperately wanted to be a dancer and that was my passion. So, you know, no one tells you, well, what do you do if you're actually shit at your passion? Um, and, And I don't, think that's the best advice I think I think the best advice is find something that no one else is doing or that people are doing badly um, that you could you think you could do uniquely well that you are curious about it doesn't have to be something you actually know about now but something that you're curious about and that sparks your um your desire for challenge and accomplishment and and pursue pursue that and don't don't worry about you know where it is or what it is i mean okay you might not want to work i mean i'm very big on finding some an organization if you're going to be an employee that matches your values so you know it's got to pass the whatever whatever values test you want to put on it and everyone's values are different but yeah find either a business um, or an area in a business where you can uniquely um, perform and add value. That would that would be my advice. Not not the passion will follow because if you're uniquely good and excited by it, then you'll become passionate about it. Exactly, and the money comes with it. Something again that most people probably um, you know 
generally speaking, coming out of uni or, or going into a career is they think they have to stick at something for a very long time to be able to get to the pinnacle and, and earn all the money and have the success. But something that you've done is jump from industry and career and, and business um, and you've still been super successful. So do you think that is good to do is to taste lots of different things and then make a decision? Or do you feel like now you wish you just sort of stuck with something and, and uh, you know, drove that for you know, your whole, whole working life? I mean, I do sometimes think, oh, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd just stayed a diplomat all my life. You know, I would have had a very interesting life, I'm sure. But, um, no, I think I think there's a happy medium. I'm still old school enough to look and if I look at somebody's CV and they've never lasted anywhere for more than a year or two, I start to worry. But I think when you're young, that is a time that you can, you know, jump around, don't, don't just stick for for the sake of sticking um but every now and again um i think you've got to if, if unless you're being an entrepreneur and and starting your own business if you want to be employed in largish organizations at some stage you actually have to prove to a future employer that that you're actually can be an employee um you know and and so yes if if you CV has been too patchwork, I would probably advise someone just stick it out for a few years so that no one can accuse you of not being able to get on with anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or have very little loyalty to a business as soon as another offer comes up, you're, you're out yeah. the door. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so, but having having said that, if you've Often people who've been, it's a bit like relationships, if you've been in one for a long time and you leave it, often the one you go into straight after isn't right. You know, if you've left a relationship or an organisation because you actually didn't like it anymore, the temptation is you jump into the wrong one too quickly. Um, And so when I look at a CV, I'll sort of go, if I see that, I'll go, yeah, that's fine. They've They've obviously made a wrong choice and now they're jumping jumping again. The rebound, they call it. Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, they say in work people join companies and leave people and, you know, generally that's right. You, you, you get attracted to the business and then the reason you leave it is because you, you know, you don't like your boss or, you know, you don't like the circumstances or you don't like what the values have become amongst the people and, and you leave them. And therefore it is very similar to a relationship. You, you then get starry-eyed about the next organisation and the next role um and no one likes to be unemployed um so yeah you often make the wrong choice and and you know that what you're saying so right well people either leave or stay because of the people inside of the business right like that's the reason a lot of times people are so sticky to a company is because they feel like they've got that emotional connection it's so hard to leave because they've been so good together but they want to try something else is that um with, with being inside of so many businesses now and now coaching, you know, the heads of so many businesses, how, how important would you say culture is in, inside of an organisation and has it become more important since you started, you know, your, your, your career? It's absolutely vital. Um, it's always been vital. It's just talked about more these days, but it's always been vital and it's hugely important for leaders to decide, you know, what is what is this culture that I'm going to inculcate because it starts at the top. Um, you know, you can't just put values on a wall and, you know, dictate a culture and then act differently. So as a leader, 
um, you know, you need to walk the talk. And it's hugely important. If you want the best talent, it's a hugely competitive world out there. Um, you've got to create an environment that that best talent will want. And, and you know, um, millennials actually are no different from people in their 20s back in my generation. Yes, they love fun things and perks and, God, there have been some fads along the way about, you know, what officers have done. But what they really want are terrifically interesting, challenging roles that stretch them and that they know they're developing from. And, yes, ambition will change. I mean, some people don't want promotion to the top, um, but they do want continuous challenge. Others want both challenge and promotion. But And I think to create a... Um, a, a learning culture, a culture where people know that they can bring their whole self to work and be appreciated um, is hugely important to create. A culture where you fail fast, um, that trying and failing is 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 okay, um, you know, that inspires, therefore, innovation, um, a culture that isn't afraid um, but is careful, you know, you've got to have some risk mitigation, but don't be afraid to um, to speak up, to speak out, to try. Um, all those things are hugely important and they start from the CEO. And, you know, like with obviously, you know, America's got some of the biggest companies in the world and, and from everything you read, some of the, the companies that have the best culture, places like Google and Facebook and Uber and all these places where it's all fun to go to work and, you know, they, they, they attract the best talent in the world. What do they do differently from your perspective to say, you know, Australia and even Atlassian's an Australian founded company that's obviously American based now that again has an incredible culture but what do those companies do or see that companies in australia do because you know some of australia's biggest companies say like a telstra or you know something similar to that they're very old school in nature you know and it's very blue blue collar suit and tie and get to work at a certain time leave at a certain time you go into their offices and it's just desk after desk after desk and everything's bland right like what what's the biggest change is it the leader do you think because most of their leaders are still middle middle-aged Man. Look, I, um, I think you'd probably be surprised on the downside sometimes as to what some of the large, large tech companies look like in terms of large offices with lots of people sitting around, or they used to be. Um, I think it's very hard to be a legacy business because you've just got, you've, you've got old work practices, you've got, um, you know, but enterprise bargaining agreements that are already in place. You've got unions, you've got large groups of, of people. Um, and it's not generally the workforce that's the issue. It's often the middle management that's the the barrier for, for change in, in legacy organisations. So I think those new organisations have the advantage of creating a brand new culture. I mean, my husband was in on the ground floor at Optus when Bob Mansfield you know, was the first CEO at Optus and it was a dynamic, go-ahead, fantastic business and, you know, because it could start from scratch. So I think that's the real difference. And those companies hopefully have learned the lessons of the past, though, that you have to keep that culture going. You have to be adaptable. Um, you know, you, you can't afford to um, allow... 
um, practices to be cemented. You can, you must get a culture be cemented, but part of a cementing culture can be that one where development is good, change is good. And then I think different practices. I mean, I think it, it's Google, isn't it, that says you could, you need to have one day a, a fortnight that is your day where you can work on your own project um, and, you know, Google will back you. And I know there are businesses here that give you a day, a fortnight to work for social enterprise. Um, you know, I do think there's much more acknowledgement in businesses these days that to get the best talent, you do need to um, recognise that you're part of the community and your your employees need to feel part of that community as well and give them opportunities to 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 contribute to that community. Yeah, 100%. Gold, gold. Well, do you think there's anything that, that we haven't spoken about that you think would would add, add any value? Because I'm, I'm very content and I've gotten a lot out of it, regardless <laughs> if anyone else has. <laughs> um, no, it's been uh, a little conversation. Thank you. It's been very good. Now, that the sun is still out as I look out the window. So if I was you, I'd go out there and enjoy it. Um, thank we'll you very much it. for coming on. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Interview some more women. I can give you names. Yeah, please. Send me an email with some names. <laughs> Thanks so much. All the best. Take care. Bye. Bye.